We are jumping into a next part of our series. We've been a series called Ford, not Ford Truck. How many of you are Ford Truck owners? Raise your hand proud, okay? Found on the road dead, we all get it, all right? Uh, we're not talking about Ford Trucks. If you're a Dodge or a Chevy owner, you're not like, I can't listen to this message. We're talking about how do we move forward in our relationship with God? In other words, how do we take that next right step that brings us closer to the Lord. And so today we're going to be talking about a topic that's pretty light over the last couple of weeks. We've been dealing with things like freedom. How do we find freedom from those things that weigh us down? How do we speak forgiveness and grant forgiveness in our lives? Last week, Pastor John talked to us about anxiety and how do we process those feelings of anxiety that often weigh us down in our lives. So this week, they gave me a super easy topic of obedience. Told you I was going to step on your toes, right? So we're going to look today at what does the scripture say about how you and I, when we live in obedience, that that actually releases us to enjoy a life of freedom and joy in Christ. And when we don't live in obedience and we live in disobedience, it actually burdens us and causes us to go into unhealthy and sinful places in our lives. So we're going to talk today about how do we find that freedom in our lives through obedience. Okay, now, I want to recognize something right up front. Biblical obedience and culturally acceptable behavior are not the same thing. Okay, biblical obedience and culturally acceptable behavior are not the same thing. We live in a culture where there's a huge chasm divide between what is culturally accepted, and they say that's okay for you to do, and what the scripture tells us to do. So we're going to look back today at what does the Bible actually say about how you and I are supposed to live life, and then we're going to ask ourselves the question, are we doing that thing? Because what our culture does is our culture actually celebrates and idolizes people who don't live in biblical obedience, and that's what's put in front of you and I. So the goal of the Christian life, if you're somebody who follows Jesus Christ, the goal of your life, the goal of my life should be to take every part of our lives and put them in line with biblical obedience. God, what do you want me to do in this area of my life? How do you want me to live? That should be the goal of our lives, okay? So say this with me. My goal is obedience. My goal is obedience. If you're a follower of Christ, the goal of your life and my life should be that you and I live in biblical obedience to what the scripture tells us. Not perfectly, but that's not an excuse, okay? Biblical obedience means that you and I are intentional about moving our lives into alignment with the Lord. Now, we're gonna look at a passage of scripture, so if you got your copy of God's word, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15. It's the ninth book in the Old Testament. Just flip about, I don't know, 100 or so pages through and then keep going until you find 1 Samuel. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 15. Let me set it up for you in this way so we can kind of get our minds wrapped around where we are in human history. So God used a man named Moses to lead the nation of Israel out of captivity in Egypt. And most of us are familiar with the story of Moses leading the Israelites out of captivity. So Moses leads them out of captivity and he leads them into what we know today as modern Israel. All right, we got a map that we're gonna show you up here which shows you where the tribes went when they went through the desert into the land that God had promised them. 
And what happened is, um, as they're going into this land, God set up for them a way to be led as a nation that involved having a judge who was sort of the, the legal end of things, and then having a high priest who was the spiritual end of things. And those two individuals led the nation. Sometimes it was two guys, sometimes it was a guy and a girl, but there was always a judge and a priest. Now, every once in a while, the judge and priest would be the same person. And what we read about in 1 Samuel chapter 8 is that the last judge-priest combination of the nation of Israel is a man named Samuel. He was an amazing guy, an amazing leader, spiritual leader, amazingly sharp, led the nation with courage and faithfulness. God used him in some incredible ways. And at the end of his life, he started to back away from his role as judge, and he took his two sons and he put them in position of leadership. Problem was, his sons were bums. They were bums. They were corrupt, and they started charging the people and getting the people to pay bribes in order for things to happen. And the nation rebelled against Samuel's two sons, came to Samuel and said, we don't want those two. We want a king. We want to be like everybody else. Now, the problem was Israel already had a king, God. That's the way it was set up. God was in charge. The judge and the priest led in partnership, but God was the king. Problem was, the nation didn't want God to be the king anymore. They wanted a king to be like everybody else. So God led Samuel to a man named Saul, who ultimately becomes the first king of the nation of Israel. And Saul starts out really good. It's like those stories that we see on uh, Hallmark TV. Anybody Hallmark TV fans? My, my wife has got me hooked on Hallmark TV. Guys, if you don't know, it's like the best kept secret ever. You're going to get a kiss and a snuggle out of every movie. I don't know what else to tell you, okay? Just do it. It's totally worth it, okay? Uh, it's wonderful. But it's like a Hallmark movie. So Saul starts out really, really well, and he starts out living correctly, and God says to him, Saul, as long as you live in obedience, you're going to experience my blessing." And all the way through the scripture, church, there's a direct connection between my obedience and God's blessing. It's all the way through the pages of scripture. And the Old Testament is connected to covenants and obedience to the law. In the New Testament, it's actually connected to relationship. John 14, 15, Jesus says to his disciples, if you love me, obey my commandments. So our obedience is actually a result of our love for the Lord. But all the way through the scripture, obedience and blessing are connected. So Saul starts out really well. And where we're going to pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 15 is actually early in Saul's career as king. And we're going to learn some lessons about how he either follows God in obedience or doesn't follow God in obedience. So look at verse 1 of chapter 15. Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people. So listen now to the message from the Lord. Now, why does Samuel have to introduce himself here? Saul knows who he is, right? They've had a relationship for a while. He's the one who ended up kinging Saul, uh, kind of like in Checkers where you go, king me. You guys like that part where you reach the back line, you go, king me. Yeah, okay. That's what Samuel did to Saul. He put the crown on his head. So it's not that Samuel is trying to remind Saul of who he was. Saul had a lot of voices that were trying to speak into his reign as king. And what Samuel is doing is he's reminding Saul, Saul, there's one voice that trumps everybody else, and that's God's voice. Church, there's a lot of voices that speak into your life and my life. They come at us from all aspects of culture, 
They come at us from family. They come at us from friendship. They come at us from our boss and our coworkers. They come at us from social media. They come at us from our news feeds. They're on our phones. They're in our written and print communication. There are a lot of people telling you and I how we're supposed to live our lives. There's one voice that should trump every voice. That's God's voice. And so what Samuel does to Saul is say, hey, bud, this message I've got to give you, it trumps whatever anybody else is telling you. Now look at verse 2. This is what the Lord Almighty said. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them in the desert. So here's what happened setting up the concept. So Exodus 17 tells us that when Israel came out of Egypt as slaves and came through the desert, the Amalekites actually attacked them. And the way that they attacked them is they attacked the back of the caravan where the women, the children, the old, the infirm, and the sick would have been, and they wiped out a bunch of people simultaneously. And in Deuteronomy 25, God says to the nation of Israel, there's going to come a point when I punish the Amalekites for what they did. Now, the Amalekites not only attacked the infirm and the sick and the aged on the way through the desert, they also lived on the very edge of the land of the nation of Israel. We're going to put this little map back up, and you can see, see just under the Philistines, there's the Amalekites on what would be your bottom left. They lived, and they would raid into the nation of Israel, and they would at random kill people, men, women, and children. They would kill them, they would steal all their stuff, and they would just absolutely create havoc all the way through the nation of Israel. And now what we're going to read in verse 3 is God's response to those attacks. Now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Now hang on, this is a little tough. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. Now I want to own the awkward, okay? We read that and we go, that's pretty brutal, right? God said, kill the men and the women, the children, the infants, kill everybody. Now, in our brain as Americans sitting in this room in 2024, we go, I don't get that. I'm with you. That sounds brutal to me. But it's not our job to try to explain God. God used the nation of Israel at points to punish the nation's around them who were not living in obedience to God. The Amalekites, not an excuse. They were not a good people. They were experiencing God's judgment and God's punishment. God used the nation of Israel to bring about that judgment and punishment. At the same time, God used other nations to punish Israel when Israel stepped out of line, okay? So you and I don't actually have to defend God in this passage. We don't have to explain God. He's God. He knows more than we do. We recognize that this story occurred 3,200 years ago, and we go, that's pretty brutal. But God had a reason and purpose for doing what he did. So we don't have to explain it. We have to recognize that it's uncomfortable. But what I don't want you to do is I don't want you to get stuck here and not catch the lesson of the truth of what God's word is putting in front of us. Here's the lesson. Just like the Amalekites pestered and messed with Israel for a long time, you and I have some things in our lives that pop up and they mess with us, right? We think that sin issue is done, then all of a sudden it reappears in our life and it starts to mess with us. And it messes with our families, it messes with our relationships, it messes with our finances, it messes with our marriage, and it keeps coming back. 
And what God wants for you and I is God wants us to live in the freedom that comes when we absolutely eradicate that from our lives. The Amalekites messed with the Israelites for years. Some of you have been carrying some sin issues in your life for years and they keep coming back because you're unwilling to do the hard work of getting rid of it in your life. And what I want you to hear today is that what God wants for you is God wants you to experience the freedom that comes when you and I are willing to do the hard work of engaging with that sin issue and allowing God to work that out of our lives so that we live in the freedom and joy that God's called us into. That's what I want you to catch from this. Now, if you keep going in the passage, what you find is verses 4, 5, 6, and 7, Saul starts out obeying God. And he gathers together an army. The scripture tells us 210,000 soldiers. He sets up an ambush that reminds us of what happened when the nation of Israel first attacked the land. And he drives the Amalekites out. And he seems to be doing exactly what God asked him to do. And if we're watching this on the big screen at this point in time, we're cheering for Saul because he's knocking it out of the park. And then all of a sudden in verse 8, the entire narrative shifts And that's where I want us to pick back up in the story. So look at verse 8. It says, He, meaning Saul, took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. And all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle and the fat calves and lambs. Everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely. But everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. What did God tell Saul to destroy? What was it? Say it again. Everything, right? My goal is obedience. So what Saul did is Saul went part of the way through that. Now, take your note sheet. This is not in your note sheet, but there's a place to write this down. And maybe this will help you out a little bit, okay? Biblical obedience, and you can write this down, biblical obedience is a daily decision. Biblical obedience is a daily decision to put into action the commands of God. Biblical obedience is a daily decision to put into action the commands of God. See, biblical obedience is not one and done. It's not like I can say, hey, I woke up yesterday and I was obedient, so now I'm done for the rest of my life. Biblical obedience is a daily thing. Every day you and I get up out of bed, before our feet hit the floor, we ought to be saying, God, will you let me live in obedience today? God, will you let me live in obedience today? God, whatever comes up in my way, will you let me live in a manner that honors you and live obedient? Why? Because the, the whole focus of our lives as followers of Christ is that we align all parts of our life in obedience with the Lord. So biblical obedience is a daily decision to put into action. It's not enough for us to know it. We actually have to do something with what we know. Some of us carry a lot of knowledge but don't put a lot of action in it. I can tell you what's right, I just don't do it, right? So biblical obedience is a daily decision to put into action the commands of God. Now, we know in here that Saul knew what he was supposed to do, right? Because Samuel came up to him at the very beginning and said, hey, uh, this is from God, this is exactly what you're supposed to do. We know Samuel didn't stutter because we read it in there pretty clearly. You're supposed to get rid of everybody. Here's what happened, Saul thought he knew better. You ever done that? 
I have. God, I know your word says X, but you don't understand my situation. My situation's different. <laughs> Anytime that's the start of your sentence, you ought to just stop yourself, slap yourself inside the head, and move on, because that is never a good way to start, okay? God, my situation's different. That's what Saul did. God, I know what you said. I just think I know better. Biblical obedience is a daily decision to put into action the commands of God. So what Saul said is, I, I know better. Now, we can look at the example of Saul in the scripture, and you and I can go, man, I can't believe he would do that. What a bum, right? I can't believe Saul. Why would that guy do that? What we need to do is we need to turn the flashlight on an us, and we need to say, God, where in my life do I know your clear commandment and I refuse to live in obedience? It's a little different question. God, where in my life do I know your commandments and yet I refuse to live in obedience? It's a little different question. Here's the thing, church. You and I can want our marriage to succeed. God, will you, will you make my marriage strong? God, will you, will you help me with this marriage? Will you help me to love our spouse? And we can refuse to stop flirting with the person in our office. We can want our marriage to succeed, and we can refuse to end that thing we've got going on on the side. You and I can want our marriage to succeed and we can stay up with an old boyfriend or girlfriend on Facebook because after all, we just, we just want to make sure they're doing okay. Really? See, the problem with Saul is Saul would not completely destroy everything that God had told him to do. The only way that you and I find freedom is that we commit in obedience to completely destroy those things that pull us away from what God is calling us into. We can be in a dating relationship. Maybe it's heading towards marriage and we're looking at each other going, I love you, I love you too. Watch a Hallmark movie. Trust me, you'll appreciate it, okay? But we can be in a dating relationship going, I love you, I love you too. And we can, we can rationalize why it's okay for us to have sex before marriage and live together. Biblical obedience says that sex is reserved for a marriage. But culture says, well, you need to find out if you're compatible. Can I be honest? If you're a guy and she's a girl, you're compatible. Okay? But we can rationalize why it's okay for us. Because it makes finances easier. It helps us save money for a wedding. Don't live in biblical disobedience because you refuse to live in biblical obedience. If you want God's blessing in your life, live in biblical obedience. We can look at our finances too, church, and we can go, hey, um, these little side, side jobs, side hustles that I've got that were for cash, I don't need to report those on my taxes. I know it's tax time. I don't have to report those. That's my money. That's actually how I, I make it. They keep me afloat, right? And we can ask God to bless our finances, and yet we refuse to live in biblical obedience and accurately report our income. You know what the scripture says? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And to God what is God's. We can want to deal with the drugs and the alcohol in our lives but we keep driving past the bar on our way home because it's convenient and we keep the, the number for our dealer in our phone. 
what you and I have to do is we have to grab a hold of the lesson in verse 9 and we have to completely destroy whatever it is that is pulling us away from biblical obedience in our lives. Okay? Now, on your note sheet, I want you to fill this in. There's only one set of fill-ins on your note sheet, okay? And I told you I'm going to step on your toes. If I haven't already, this is it. My partial obedience is disobedience. My partial obedience is disobedience. See, what Saul did is Saul celebrated partial obedience. And what God wanted was full obedience. And look at verse 9. It says, everything that was good, they were unwilling to destroy. But everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed it. Now, isn't that a great representation of our culture? It is so easy to get rid of the stuff that we don't think is important. Right? If it's not a big deal for me, it's okay. I can let it go. In my household, there's a, there's a history of alcohol and alcoholism that's part of my family background. And so my brother said, I'm never going to touch a drink of alcohol because I don't know if I'm going to become addicted to it or not. Okay? For some of us, our issues are like that. For some of us, they're different. But for each one of us, even though they're different, the things that we're willing to let go and let go of, no problem, man. And I don't understand why you can't let go of them. But the things that we think are worthwhile hanging on to, we will hang on to with a death grip. But partial obedience is disobedience. Now, why does God make such a big deal about partial obedience, right? Why doesn't it work like school? I mean, I answered part of the question, so I should get partial credit, right? I don't know when education went that way, but you can put the wrong answer down, and because you wrote something, you get partial credit, okay? That is not how Jesus works, just so that we're on the same page. We don't get partial credit for disobedience, because partial obedience is disobedience. But what, what Saul said is, hey, man, I'm, I'm good. I, I, I did part of it, right? So why is that such a big deal for God? Well, here's the, the key, and I want you to catch this. What God wants for you and I, church, is that we live in the freedom and joy that comes from obedience. What God wants for you and I, and hear this, is that you and I live in the freedom and joy that comes from obedience, not the struggle that comes from disobedience. See, the lie of culture is the way to live a fulfilled life is to be disobedient. Cut the restraints of God out of the way. Live in whatever way you want to live. Live in disobedience. It's okay. That's how you're going to have the most fun. That's a lie. The way you and I actually experience joy and freedom in our lives is we live inside of the boundaries of Scripture that God laid out for us because as Creator God, He actually knows what is best for us. Do you want to experience true freedom and joy? You live inside of the boundaries that God set out in the Scripture. So partial obedience is disobedience. The reason that's such a big deal is because what God wants for you is to experience a life of freedom and joy that's celebrated when you and I live in obedience. And when we refuse to do so, we continue to struggle in a life of disobedience. Now what happens going on in the Scripture is we find out what happens when we settle for a substitute, okay, instead of the real thing. So in verse 10 and 11 of 1 Samuel 15, what you're going to find is probably one of the uh, toughest passages of Scripture 
Because God comes to Samuel and he says these words, I regret that I made Saul king. Wrestle with that for a minute. I regret that I made Saul king. And because of Saul's disobedience, God took back his hand of blessing on Saul's life. So on the one hand, you have this, uh, this amazing God who loved Saul, gave him the kingship, and then says, I regret that I made him king and takes it back. And on the other hand, verses 12, 13, and 14, you have King Saul celebrating his obedience to the Lord. The Bible says he literally went off and set up a memorial to how good he was. Crazy, huh? And then when Samuel shows up and goes, hey, what happened? Saul goes, I was totally obedient. And Samuel goes, if you're obedient, why do I hear cattle and donkeys and camels and lambs in the background? See, Saul celebrated his partial obedience as obedience, and God looked at it as disobedience. Here's what I want us to catch, church, okay? Our culture is so buried and so lost in its own sin and struggle that we celebrate disobedience as obedience. Our culture is so broken right now that what we celebrate online as obedience is disobedience. And what God wants for you and I is the freedom and joy that's found in obedience and we settle for the imitation life that's found in disobedience. And because our culture is so broken, we actually celebrate it. I've shared this with you before. I'm going to share it again. This is why, church, it's so important that you and I jump into the Scripture. This is why it's so important for you and I to spend daily time with God in His Word, studying His Word, trying to understand, Lord, what is it that you want me to do with my life? This is why it's so important that you and I commit God's Word to memory and we allow God's truth to mess with us at a core level because when that is what saturates me, when the world comes in and goes, hey, this is so much better, I immediately go, no, it's not. I know what is true. The only way you and I know what is true is we hang out enough with Jesus that when a counterfeit shows up, we go, that's not the real thing. I don't want that. I want the real thing. You and I have to spend time in God's truth in order to differentiate what is real and what is false. Because what God wants for you is a life of freedom and joy. And what we often settle for is a life of struggle because we don't recognize it and we choose to live with it. Now, as you go on in the chapter, what you're going to find is that Saul pulls one of the worst leadership moves of all time, uh, and he blames the people around him for his mistake, okay? So look at verse 15 with me. Samuel's just confronted him, and this is Saul's response. Samuel said to him, uh, Saul answered, the soldiers brought them. Wouldn't you have loved to have been a soldier at that point? You're like, dude, you just rolled the bus right over top of me. What happened right there? Okay. The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They're the ones who spared the sheep and the cattle. Skip down to verse 20. But I obeyed the Lord, Saul said. I went on a mission the Lord assigned me to. I completely destroyed the Amalekites, but I brought back their king. The soldiers are the one that took the sheep from the plunder. 
the best of what was devoted to God. And then look at verse 24 at the end. He said, I was afraid of the people, and so I gave in to them. Can I be honest with you, church, when it comes to obedience? I am really good at explaining away my bad behavior. I know you're not. You can breathe now, okay? You're like, <gasps> no. I know you're not. I am. I am really good at explaining away my bad behavior. I'm really good at explaining why it's somebody else's fault. But Saul was placed in a position of leadership and God assigned to him the task of leading an entire nation in the step of obedience to follow the Lord. And when it came to explaining why he was disobedient, he didn't man up and go, it's on me. He looked at everybody else and said, it's kind of your fault, okay? We're really good at that in our culture too, right? But it doesn't matter if you're a leader or not a leader. You are positioned by the Lord in a place of influence, a friend of mine on the way in, I was talking to him about what we were talking about this morning, and he said, God put you exactly where he put you in the right spot in the right moment just for today. I'm like, whoo, <laughs> okay, thanks, I think, right? You're in the position you're in because God put you there to be a person of influence. And what you and I have to do, no matter where we are or where God's got us positioned, is we have to be faithful and obedient to the gospel to live in a way that honors the Lord. So if you're a student and you're in school and you're living inside of a culture that tells you you can do all this kind of crazy stuff, remember, biblical obedience and cultural accepted behavior are not the same thing. If you are a student living into that culture, do not cave to the, the web of lies of that culture, okay? We live in a broken culture that does not follow the Lord. Do not cave to that. Live different. Stand up for biblical truth in your schools. Be the one who sets that different example of what it looks like to follow Christ. If you're a husband and wife and you're raising kids in this culture, don't blame culture. Don't blame technology. Don't blame schools. Don't blame teachers. You and I are the ones that God's positioned to lead in our homes. We ought to be stepping up our game that much more because of how broken our culture is. And going, God, how do we follow you in obedience and how do we teach our kids to do the same? If you're a boss at work, You've got an amazing opportunity to influence people, okay? Live in obedience. Set the tone in your office. If you don't like the culture in your office, change it. Culture is a direct result of the worst behavior we choose to accept. Culture is a direct result of the worst behavior we choose to accept. So if we accept it and we act like it's okay, it's going to stay that way. If you don't like it as a boss, change it. If you're an employee right now in America, silent quitting is the worst thing going on in our culture. We're going every week and we're getting a paycheck for stuff that we're not even doing. We're sitting at our desks and we're playing with our phones and we're going online and surfing the internet when we're supposed to be working. That's robbing your boss. You know what the scripture says? We ought to work in such a way like we're working for the Lord, like the Lord is over our shoulder watching what we're doing. We ought to bust our hiney every day to honor the Lord. That's the only time you'll hear me say hiney in the service, okay? <laughs> we ought to bust our tail every day to serve the Lord. Why? Because we're working as if we're working for the Lord. So no matter where you are, church, don't, don't accept, hey, it's not my fault. It's because of such and such. Don't do that. Own it. Own it. What Samuel does as uh, he kind of closes out his time with Saul, look at verse 22. He confronts Saul and he uses a phrase that some of us have probably heard. 
Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? And read this next part with me. Say it with me. To obey is better than sacrifice. Let's say that again. To obey is better than sacrifice. To heed is better than the fat of rams, for rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he's rejected you as king. Here's what God was saying to Saul. Saul, you care more about pleasing people and looking good in front of people than you do about obeying me. The sacrifice is a result of internal change. When God's worked on my heart and changed me, my desire is to live a sacrificial life. When Saul was offering the sacrifice without the internal transformation, all he was doing was trying to look good in front of the people. And what God was saying to Saul is, Saul, the more you're interested in pleasing people than you're interested in pleasing God, you're going to live in disobedience. And church, you and I need to wrap our heads around the exact same truth. The more you and I are, are cautious and curious and hopeful and we want to make sure the people around us like us, the less we're going to live in obedience. If I care more about what the people around me think than I care about the God who created me, I'm going to live more in disobedience than I am in obedience. If I want to live in obedience, I actually need to care more about what the God who created me determines about my life than I need to about the people around me. Not that I don't like you, but I, I observe what he says first. And so he goes on and he says, hey, your, your rebellion is like the sin of divination. And what he means by that is you're trying to determine your own future. Rather than live in obedience in what I tell you so you'll live the future that I have for you, you're trying to take charge and, and live your own. The, the arrogance of idol worship means you're trying to be your little G God of your life. You're trying to set yourself up in charge. Don't do that, okay? Partial obedience is disobedience. There's no partial credit in heaven. So here's the hard truth, okay? I'm going to address the elephant in the room. Anytime we have a sermon like this, and please trust me, as I, as I prepped on this sermon, it worked on me a lot this week. There was things that I needed to get my heart right with the Lord around before I could stand up here and share this with you. But when we hear a message like this, sometimes what happens is we leave this place and we go, I'm a failure. I shouldn't even try. I just, I'm a complete failure. God can never change my heart. I just deal with this over and over, okay? That is not what God wants for you. What God wants for you today is that you live under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, meaning if God's bringing something into your mind, you do business with God about that thing. But what he doesn't want you to do is leave here defeated and hopeless. That's a Satan thing. That's not a Jesus thing. Conviction, that's a Jesus thing. Guilt, depression, that's a, that's a Satan thing. Okay? So live in the conviction of God to do business with God so the result of your life is obedience. And what happens out of that obedience is you live in a place of freedom and joy, fully living into the life that God called you to. Don't walk out of here in disobedience because disobedience is suffering. Obedience is joy and freedom. Disobedience is suffering. So grab your note sheet. I want to close this way, okay? I put a question on the bottom of your note sheet, and the question is, what is one area of my life that I need to change today to be obedient to God's word? What is one area of my life that I need to change today to be obedient to God's word? So what we're going to do is we're going to have a mic up on stage, and one at a time, you're going to confess. <laughs> 
That would be a long service. I'd be at the start of that line, okay? I want to give you some quiet time with Jesus, and uh, I just want you to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit in your, in your heart. God, is there one area of my life that you want me to, to change, to bring into alignment, okay? We're just going to give you a little quiet. We're going to turn on a little music. You don't have to write it down. You don't have to share it, but I would encourage you, have that conversation with the Lord. If he brings something to your mind, confess it, okay? It's a daily battle. It's a daily battle. So let's do that now. Father, we thank you for grace and we thank you for the hope and freedom that you speak into our lives. I pray as we continue to do business with you over the course of today and this week that you would bring to our hearts and minds those things that don't look like you and let us bring them into alignment and obedience with you. Give us the courage to face the struggles. Maybe we've been facing them for years in our life and we're tired of the fight and yet we haven't found freedom in that. Help us to go back and do the hard work and the struggle that is necessary to find true freedom. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, I'm going to ask you to stand. Uh, I got a couple of things I want to share with you as we leave today. First of all, there is a small group resource um, on our website. So it's with our note sheet. So if you're part of a small group, you want to discuss this and make people super uncomfortable a little more. It's a ton of fun. You can download those questions. Uh, also, though, in all seriousness, we put a five-day devotional together that is on our website with our note sheet. Uh, it's also going to be posted every day to social media to give you a little chance to go, God, what are things in my life that need to look different? Okay, so it starts Monday, goes Monday through Friday. Let me pray this blessing over you, and then we'll dismiss. This actually comes out of the book of Numbers, and it's Moses speaking over the nation of Israel. And he says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Blessings, everybody. Thanks for being here today.